Well, who would have thought that uh, a year later we're still being impacted by this COVID, COVID thing? It just kind of dictates every part of our life if you, if you think about it. And one of the things that has come out of this pandemic is that it has created in and of itself an epidemic of its own, and that is the epidemic of loneliness. Poll after poll in America talks about the fact that Americans are more and more lonely. Our children are saying, I'm lonely. Our youth are saying, I'm lonely. Uh, young adults are expressing feelings of loneliness. Uh, Middle-aged couples are, are saying we're lonely. Elderly people are saying we're lonely. And never before in the history of America have we seen the numbers of people who are expressing loneliness. And it's not just here in America. In fact, um, it's impacted other places in the world even worse than it has here. Uh, in a poll that was taken a number of uh, months ago in Great Britain, 68% of the British people said, we're lonely. In fact, it is such a big problem that the Prime Minister of England created a new position in the government called the Minister of Loneliness, whose job it is to help the country deal with the loneliness that, that they're, they're facing. And so, you know, 68% of the British are saying, I'm lonely. And you find that in country after country after country. Uh, in a recent uh, poll that was taken in Southern California, 1,000 teenagers were polled and asked, How, are you, do you feel lonely? Over 80% said that they struggled regularly with periods of loneliness in their life. Um, I, I ask our, our children and our youth over the last number of weeks, hey, are you glad to get back to school or do you wish that you were still at home? 100% said, we're glad to be back in school. That's not my generation, okay? <laughs> okay. But they crave relationships. They want to be with people. That's an important thing to them. And, and so... Uh, this stay-at-home idea of the COVID, and I understand, you know, health-wise, why that was important, but it has, if it's done anything, it has increased the prevalence of loneliness in our society. And you know, the Bible has a lot to say about loneliness. In fact, in the very second chapter of the Bible, we read these words, it says, and God said, it is not good that man should be alone. That is the first statement. I mean, up to this point, everything that God has created is good. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then you come to these words, it is not good that man should be alone. You know what? God hates loneliness. Um, if you have loneliness in your life, that's not part of God's plan. That's not a part of God's purpose for your life. We were made in the image of God, and our God is a relational God. Our God wants to relate, and so we're created as, as relational beings. And because we're relational beings, we're social beings. Uh, we're made to be together. We do better together. We're stronger together, and so we need relationships. We're not created to be solitaire. Studies have shown that the fewer friends that you have, the sooner it is that you're going to die in your, in your life, life expectancy. Um, it's just unhealthy. 
for you not to have healthy relationships in your life. So God made us for relationship. And today I want us to, to talk about, we're talking about critical conversations that we need to have with our kids, with our, with our grandkids. And I want to talk to you about how to develop good friendships, good relationships. This is the kind of information you need to pass on to your kids, to your teenagers. How do you build good friendships in your life? <clears throat> because all of us need friends. So I want to start this morning by mentioning that what I'm going to talk about are three different kinds of friendships that we need in our life. Uh, the first of those is what I would call casual friendships, casual relationships. And, and that is simply this, that sometimes you come upon people and they become casual friends to you by the circumstance that you're in. First of the school year, and our kids are seated alphabetically, you know, and they're sitting by somebody they've never met before. And over the period of the weeks of being in school, they develop a casual friendship. And so sometimes people become casual friends by circumstances. It's not a choice they make. It's just the circumstances they find themselves in. Maybe you're at, in the workplace, and, and, and the people that you work with, you to become friends with them on a casual basis because of the circumstance you're in. Maybe, you know, you're in a soccer league with your kids and you develop a friendship with parents and once soccer season is over, you don't see them again. Those are what we would call casual relationships. And, and those are important in our life, but they're not the most important thing in our life. You see, our closest friends shouldn't come about just by circumstances of life. They ought to be the choices that we make. And uh, <clears throat> my choices are not my circumstances, okay? So your close friends shouldn't be accidental. We need to teach our kids that we choose our friends and we choose them wisely. Now, choose them wisely because you can't be close to everybody, okay? <clears throat> and the fact is that the closer I am to some people and the closer they are to me, the more influence they have in my life and the more, more impact they'll have on my life. And so the people who are closest to us, obviously, are going to influence us greatly. They're going to influence our whole life. And so uh, since that's true, we need to make sure the people that are our close friends are people that we choose, that, that in, are influencing us for good and for God. And so we need to teach our kids to choose their friends wisely. Look at this first verse there in your outline. Proverbs 12 and verse 26 says this, that a righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Did you catch that? Cautious in friendships. That means you've got to be choosy. You've got to be selective as to who your friends are going to be. You don't just arbitrarily choose those people who are close to you. Uh, you know, a righteous person, it says, is caution in, cautious in friendship because the ways of evil people will drag them down, will lead them to do wrong. So there's, first of all, there's casual friends, then there's close friends, and then finally, and I will be talking about this more a, bit, a little bit later, there are core friends, core friends. And you know what? You only have room for a handful of core friends in your life, maybe three, maybe four in your entire lifetime. These are the ones that you spend the most time with. These are the ones who have the greatest influence in your life. And we're going to revisit that in, in just a moment. But I want to talk to us, how do we help our kids 
our grandkids, and for that matter, ourselves, to develop close friendships, to develop core friendships. So let's start by looking, first of all, at the opposite, okay? What are the kinds of people that I shouldn't choose to be my friends? What kind of people should I not choose to be my friends? Because the Bible has a lot of things to say about the kinds of people that we should not choose to be friends with. God says there are some people that you need to avoid building close relationships with in your life. Now, you know, the casual friendships, there's not much you can do about those kinds of things. But to to bring them into your close circle of friends, the Bible says there's some people that you shouldn't do that. Uh, And we're going to look in the book of Proverbs. I'm going to just mention six, but there's a whole host of other kinds of people that the book of Proverbs says, you know, be beware of, don't don't be friends with this. You know, I, I think that you would agree with me that the wrong people in our lives pull us down, right? I mean, think about it. I'm up here on this stage, and you're standing down here on the floor. Which is going to be easier for to do? Am I going to have it easier to pull you up onto the stage, or are you going to have it easier to pull me off the stage? Well, it pull me off the stage. Gravity is going to, you know, is going to assure that. Okay. That's why I don't believe in what we used to call missionary dating. You know, I'm going to date this guy, and I'm going to date him so I can lead him to the Lord. Folks, that rarely, rarely succeeds. They pull you down. That, that, that's the key of the thing. Uh, that's why, you know, if you think about it, why we can't legislate Christian morality in our country. Uh, because... People are going to pull us down. Uh, have you ever seen anybody that gets messed up with the wrong kinds of friends? Sure, all of us, all of us see that. Uh, so I, I don't need to make this point to you that your friends can pull you down if you if you have the wrong kinds of friends. Uh, there's just some people that you shouldn't be friends with. Proverbs 18 verse 24 says this: There are friends who destroy each other. Have you ever seen a couple of friends just absolutely destroy each other? Yeah. Uh, We see that happening, see? And the fact of the matter is they're not real friends. If you really look at them, they're competing with one another. They're fighting with one another, nagging against one another all the time. They're they're detrimental to each other. Uh, They're pulling each other down. They're not real friends. So who should not be our close friends. Look what the book of Proverbs says. First of all, it says that people who like to argue, people who like to argue shouldn't be our close friends. And you say, really? Yeah, that's what the Bible says. People who like to argue shouldn't be your closest friends. Uh, If you notice, there are some people that just like conflict in their life. They like to fight. They like to argue. They like to be in the middle of it. They're energized by a good struggle, a good fight. Uh, they're always against somebody or something, you know. They're, they're always causing uh, conflict. They're irritating. They're agitating uh, and, and so forth. They're always stirring up strife. And God says, that's the kind of people you don't want to hang with. Don't hang with those kind of people. In fact, look at Proverbs 20, verse 3. Avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. Fools 
insist on quarreling. So we need to teach our kids that, that, and for that matter, we need to teach ourselves, okay? When somebody starts arguing, best thing you do is just walk away. Just walk away. It says the mark of honor is to avoid a fight. So the first kind of people that we shouldn't make our friends is people who argue. The second is people who gossip. Now, maybe that gets a little touchy. Some of you saying, whoop, they just lost all my friends, you know, uh, <clears throat> whatever. You know, God hates gossip. God hates gossip. Uh, the person who gossips really is a friend of the saboteur. And why do I say that? Because gossip is sabotaging relationships. Uh, gossips are destructive. And the Bible judges gossip very, very harshly. Now, what is gossip? Let me give you a good definition. <clears throat> gossip is sharing damaging information where you are neither part of the problem nor are you part of the solution. And, and the problem is, folks, for Christians, some of our finest gossip comes in the form of prayer requests. Isn't that horrible? You know, I'd like for us to pray for so-and-so because I heard that... Friends, don't use prayer as an excuse or as a cover for gossip. Just don't do it. Uh, look at Proverbs 20, verse 19. A gossip goes around telling secrets. So don't hang around with chatterers. <clears throat> so we need to stay away from people who argue. And we need to not make as our friends those who gossip. A third group would be people who flatter others. People who flatter others. We need to stay away from them. Don't have them as our closest friend. People who flatter others. Now, what is flattery? Well, flattery is false praise. Um, flattery is insincere compliments. It's flattery is that person who's kissing up to the boss at work, you know, and feeding his ego, and then behind his back is just ripping him and tearing him down. That that's flattery. You know, they're laying it on. They're they're kissing kissing up, but it's a hypocritical approach to their ego. And and when we see people flattering, whether it's you know the girl or the guy on the school campus that's always kissing up to the popular kids so he can be a part of that crowd, or whether or whether it's an adult who's doing it at work, or maybe in a a sales situation, the truth of the matter is the Bible says when somebody is flattering, you need to be running in the opposite direction. Stay away from flatterers. Proverbs twenty nine verse five says. To flatter friends is to lay a trap for their feet. Do you know that the Bible teaches that those who flatter actually hate you? If they're flattering you, in reality, they actually hate you. Flattery is a disguised hatred. And they're saying one thing to your face. Check this verse out. Psalm 62 and verse 4. He says, they delight in telling, me, telling lies about me. They praise me to my face, but curse me in their hearts. Folks, that verse is a premise for a lot of reality TV. You know it? You know, they're up front, they're saying, man, you look so good. And then behind the scene, they're just ripping somebody. The Bible says, stay away from people who flatter you. Uh, a fourth thing we need not to have as a uh, fourth type of people that we need not to have as our uh, as our uh close friends, is people who can't control their temper. People who can't control their, their temper. They shouldn't be 
our closest friend. And in fact, the Bible has a lot to say about what I would say rageaholics, people who just fly off the handle. And I'm really talking about two different kinds of people when it comes to, to anger, people who can't control their temper. Uh, there's the person who's mute and is the martyr. They're just going to you know, they're just going to be quiet and they're going to seethe about it. And then there's the, the manic who's kind of like Mount Vesuvius. He just blows up. The reality is that when it comes to anger, all of us are either turtles or skunks. See, a turtle, when a turtle gets angry, what does he do? A, a turtle just pulls into himself and he just says, oh, poor me. You know, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat worms and die. And he holds a pity party and he invites three people, me, myself, and I. And, and that's all he does. Some people are like that when they get angry. Other people are like a skunk and they let everybody know and they stink up the whole place. The Bible says don't let people who can't control their anger be your best friend, be your closest friend. Because they're hot-headed, <laughs> they're, they're short-fused, they're volatile. They're rash. They're, they blow up quickly. They're easily upset. Again, in Proverbs chapter 22, beginning at verse 24, he says, Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people, or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. You see, anger, like a lot of other emotions, is contagious. Did you know that? You can become angry because you're around angry people. It's like loneliness. Loneliness can be contagious. A depression can be contagious. People you hang with, you have the tendency to become like them. That's why the, the, the writer of Proverbs says, don't befriend angry people or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. There's a fifth group that we shouldn't allow our children, our grandchildren, ourselves to be close friends with, and that is people who steal or shoplift. And this is especially true for children, for, for our teenagers. They need to avoid friends who steal, who, who shoplift. And, and you know what? Our youth know who they are because these young people who shoplift and carry on like that, they want everybody to know about their exploits because it makes them feel like the big man on campus. Uh, when I was pastoring in southern New Mexico, we had our church office broke into. And the only thing that was stolen out of that office was a Polaroid camera. That was back in the day when Polaroid made cameras, okay? Um, and within two or three days, the sheriff's department had in their hands a picture of the culprit he had taken a picture of himself outside the church office with the Polaroid camera, given it to his girlfriend who showed it around the campus. Kids like to brag. Well, the Bible says thieves are self-centered. And if you think about it, if they'll steal from others, guess what? They'll steal from you as well, right? So you don't want them to be your closest friends, people who steal or, or, or who shoplift. Um, Look at Proverbs chapter 1, beginning at verse 10. It says, My children, <clears throat> if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. They may say, come and join us. Think of the great things we'll get. We'll fill our houses with all the stuff we take. Come and throw in your lot with us. 
We'll all share the loot. See, God's word says, just stay away from those people. And so if you're a teenager and you've got friends who shoplift, man, get away from them. Uh, parents, you need to show your, your kids this verse, that it's danger to have friends that do that. And then finally, I want to mention that we need to stay away as close friends. We need to stay away from people who sin sexually. Now, this is a tough one, but I'm really talking here about believers. I'm talking about believers who sin sexually. Now, why not everybody else? Let me give you a principle, and this is such an important principle. I hope that you'll come to understand this. We must never expect an unbeliever to act like a believer until they become a believer. In other words, don't expect a non-Christian to act like a Christian until they become a Christian. Uh, that, that makes common sense. Uh, you know, the, the truth of the matter is they don't have the power to change their life. In fact, the whole book of Romans talks about the fact that unless Jesus Christ is in our lives, we don't have the power to change. And so for us to expect them to have changed their life without Jesus Christ is kind of like putting the cart before the horse. They need Christ in their life, and then they can begin changing. But here's what the Bible does say about those who, who are sexually, uh, who sin sexually. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul wrote this, and he's writing to a church that had all sorts of difficulties and problems. And, and he said this in 5.9. He says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or who are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive, is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. Now, why? <laughs> because they're a bad witness and they will pull you down. They're a bad representative of Jesus Christ. And so God's word here is pretty, pretty blunt. It says that if you're a Christian and you're hanging around with people who say they're Christians, but who aren't acting as Christians, there's trouble ahead for you. <clears throat> you need to realize those are people you need to stay away from because they're pulling your witness down for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so these are some things that we need to talk to our kids about, to our grandkids about, about who it is that needs to be our close friends. And the truth of the matter is we need them to, to choose good friends. Um, you know, ca the casual acquaintances. Again, there's not much you can do about those, but you can sure do a lot about who you choose as to be your good friends. But it's, it, you know, Again, it's a choice. You choose who you get to be friends with. The Bible also has a lot of positive advice about who do you choose as friends. And I, I encourage you to maybe in the next few weeks, read through the book of Proverbs and look for those references. This is the kind of people you need to hang with. These are the kind of people you need to choose as good friends. But I mentioned another category. We talked about casual friends. We talked about close friends. But I want to close out by talking about core 
friends, C-O-R-E, core friends. Who, who do, should I choose to be my core friend? How, how do I decide? I mean, who's going to be the core friends of my life? Because think about it. These are the people who are going to have extra influence on your life. These are the people that are going to impact your life for a long period of time. And again, there's all sorts of qualities that the Scripture gives for those people that we let into our lives as really core friends. But I want to mention three that I think that Scripture just really highlights and brings out as, as being an important uh, character, quality or characteristic. First of all, you need to choose core friends who encourage you spiritually. Friends who encourage you spiritually. Folks, even your kids are not too young that they need to start hanging around kids to whom church and faith is important. I know when I was growing up, I was reflecting on that, the fact that the friends that I chose were not the ones that I went to school with. They weren't necessarily the ones in my neighborhood. You know who my friends were as I was growing up from yay high and up? It was the people, the kids at, at church. It wasn't that I spent a lot of time with them, but they were important because we had the same values. We had the same principles. And, you know, when I was in, in high school and I was, you know, really wanting to get into athletics and all of that kind of thing, and, and, and I began to realize that a lot of the, the guys that were part of the athletic scene didn't have the same values. They didn't have the same principles as I did. And so my friends became those at my church, in my youth group at, at church, and, and they became the important ones in my life. Now, as you look here at 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Paul tells us, encourage each other, build each other up. Now, this verse is talking about encouragement. It's not talking about compliment. There's a great difference between people who compliment you and people who encourage you. Compliments are, are nice, but they tend to be very, very shallow. You know, a compliment says, oh, Sam, man, your clothes look sharp today. And I say, thank you, you know. Or, or you say, hey, Sam, you're not as bald looking as you normally are, you know. Hey, thank you. You're lying and flattering to my face, but, you know, okay. That's a compliment, but an encouragement goes much deeper. It, it, it really goes deeper. It goes below the surface. Encouragement matters a little bit more, and it really carries more significance than just a compliment. God wants us to surround ourselves with people who are sources of encouragement to us. They're our core friends. Let me give you a, a dictionary definition of encouragement. It says it's the action of giving someone support, confidence, or hope. That's encouragement. It's, it's the act of giving a person uh, encouragement uh, or support, giving them confidence, giving them hope. But let me give you another definition, even more simple definition, and that is simply this. Encouragement means to fill the heart. To fill the heart. When you're giving somebody support, when you're giving somebody confidence, when you're giving them hope, you're filling their heart. See, the struggle with loneliness is simply this, that our hearts are not filled. That's the definition of loneliness. I have an empty heart, and I need something to fill my heart. And, you know, currently, 
for instance, in the age range between 12 years old and 17 years old, 65% of our youth are saying, I'm lonely. Why are they lonely? Because their heart is empty. There's nothing to fill their heart. And when we feel lonely, we want to fill our hearts with all sorts of things. The only thing that will fill them is friendship. And the last thing you want to fill your heart with is the kind of friends that I mentioned earlier, okay? Friendships that destroy your hearts rather than filling your hearts. So you need to build core relationships with people who will encourage you spiritually. I sat down this week and I thought through, who are the core friends that I've had in my life? And I really came up with three people that are core friends to me. <laughs> One, of course, is my wife, Jan. She is my spiritual rock that I stand on. Uh, Fifty years of marriage yesterday, you know. So she is a core to me. Uh, a second core friend <clears throat> that I have <clears throat> is Lonnie. Lonnie and I have known one another for over 60 years. Uh, and he encourages me spiritually. There isn't a Sunday morning that goes by that about 4.30 in the morning. He lives in Central Time, and so I'm here. He sends me a text to encourage me. And almost every time that he sends that text, he closes it with these words. Preach the word, brother. That's an encouragement to me. And, and Lonnie and I go way back. We met in the seventh grade Sunday school class at church. And we hung together all the time through high school. And we were a source of Christian encouragement to one another. We held one another accountable that we would live for Jesus Christ. That's the kind of friend that you need. Lonnie's a core friend to me, still is a core friend of mine. And then a third core friend who was my mentor and, and good friend, Wally Cobb. That uh, uh, Some of you met Wally here a number of, of years ago when he came. He was my youth minister when Lonnie and I were in high school. And, and I just developed the kind of friendship that when I entered ministry, I'd call him up and say, hey, Wally, I don't know how to do this. What should I do in this area? And, and he would walk me through that. He was the kind of core friend that would drop anything and do anything to help me. Uh, some of you know, a number of years ago, uh, he just out of the blue volunteered to say, hey, let me fly out to Elko and I'll spend four or five weeks there and I'll take some of your counseling load from you. And he came out and, and our church family learned to love Wally. Uh, that's a core friend. And that's the kind of people that you really need. So the first thing you need is choose somebody who encourages you spiritually. And second, you need to co uh, choose core friends who consistently support you emotionally. Choose friends who consistently support you emotionally. Look at Proverbs 17, 17. <clears throat> <clears throat> it says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now catch those words, at all times, or all the time. Friend loves at all times. Um, have you heard that saying that a true friend walks in when everybody else walks out? Uh, that's what I'm hearing. It, it's this idea that when you're going through trouble, you learn who your true friends are by the people who walk into your life versus the ones who walk out of your life. Um, and what does it mean to be walking 
into somebody's life. Well, here's what walking in means. Walking in means I am here with you. Not I am here for you, but I am here with you. You notice there's a difference there. When you say I'm here with you, that means one thing. But when you say I'm here for you, what, what you're basically saying is, hey, man, if you need anything, just call me. I, you know, I'm here for you. If you need anything, call me. See, what you've done there is you've put the initiative on them. They're going through the tough time, but they've got to reach out to you for help. But when you say, I'm here with you, you're saying, we're in this together. I'm walking with you through this trouble. I'm going to be present. I'm going to be proactive. I'm going on this journey with you. I'll be with you every step of the way. And they're going to be looking for ways to be engaged in the middle of your trouble. See, walking in means that you're listening. You know, the best emotional support that you can give to somebody sometimes is just to sit and listen to them. Um, you know, when people are going through tough times, folks, fewer words, more listening, okay? That's an important thing to do. People are, you know, when you say, I'm here with you, that means I'm listening to what you're saying. And I'm willing to be here with you in the midst of all of this. Walking in means you're going to serve your friends. You're going to be looking for ways to help them in, in the midst of all that they're going through. Here's how that works out, okay? Say you have a friend, a close friend, a core friend, who calls up and says, you know what, I've just learned that my spouse is going to have to have emergency surgery, and it's really going to be touch and go. And uh, would you pray for me? And a core friend will say, yes, I'm going to pray for you, but that's not all. As quickly as I can, I will be there at the hospital to sit with you in that waiting room waiting for the doctor's report. That's what a core friend does. Doesn't say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. That's important. But he says, I will be there with you when you're waiting for that doctor's report to come out. That's how a core friend supports you emotionally. And then the third thing that I would mention, you need to choose core friends who challenge you to think. Core friends who challenge you to think. Now, to be honest, this is one of my favorites, okay? Uh, because sometimes I don't want to be challenged to think. Um, sometimes I wish our conversations could just be about the weather or baseball and, and stuff like that. But when, you know, I got a core friend that starts asking me, hey, what are you reading lately? What's God teaching you? Who is it that you're praying for will, will come to salvation? Um, sometimes I just want them to go away, all right? Just leave me alone. I don't want to have to think right now. Look at Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. Our problem is that we usually like to be with friends who are like us that have the same interests, the same habits, who have the same beliefs and opinion. You know, I like people like me, okay? And when somebody starts pushing a little bit and, and trying to stretch me and, and make me think, our tendency is to fight. You know, I, I, I don't want that. We don't want to be challenged. You know, hey, if you're really my friend, just kind of agree with me and then just leave it at that. But the truth is, I need people in my life. You need people in your life who are willing 
and not in an argumentative judgment kind of way, but who are willing to call you on your stuff. You know, the Scripture says iron sharpens iron. You need somebody every once in a while who will challenge you and say, hey, you need to go this direction. You need to be thinking about that. <clears throat> because we're better parents. We're better spouses. We're better employees. When people challenge us to think, and to think differently, to think deeper, to, to grow spiritually, and that's what I'm talking about. <clears throat> somebody who would challenge you, let's grow together. Let's, let's move on from where you are, and let's get deeper into, into the things of God. See, the easy thing in, the, in friendship is to surround yourself with like-minded people. You know, birds of a feather flock together and all that kind of thing. That's the easiest route to take. It's the road of least resistance. But if you want a rich, meaningful, life-giving, heart-filled relationship, I urge you to get a, a core friend or two that will really challenge you to grow and to, and to be on that. Now, let me give you an assignment for this week. This is something your parents, grandparents could do to your kids as well. Um, make a list of what you would call, these are my core friends. Maybe you look at your close friends and you pick out the three or four that really are core friends. <clears throat> and then ask yourself these questions. Does this person encourage me spiritually? Are they giving me spiritual encouragement? Do they support me emotionally? Does this person really support me emotionally? Do they challenge me to think? Look at this statement up here on the screen. Next one coming up. My best friends should bring out the best in me. Now think about that. That's something we need to teach to our kids. Something we need to teach to our grandkids. My best friends should bring out the best in me. That's a statement that ought to dictate how we choose our friendships. Because if they're not bringing out the best in you, if they're not bringing out the best in our kids, then they're really not our best friends, right? Uh, somebody else needs to be our best friends. If they're not bringing out the best in us, then they're not the best. So... Write that down. Use that as kind of a, a, a thought to help you as you evaluate your friendships. Are they bringing out the best in me? So think about it. Where is the best place to learn the skills of friendships? Where can you learn the skills that you need in friendships to develop good friendships? Well, you knew I was going to get here eventually. Disciple groups. You need to be in a small group. That's where you learn the give and take of relationships. Every believer needs other believers around them. And we've got groups that meet throughout the week. We've got groups that meet on Sunday morning. Uh, come the fall, we're going to have a big emphasis on starting some new groups. So if you're not in a group, prayerfully consider getting in a group. That's where you're going to meet the kind of core friends that are going to challenge you and going to help you to grow and to you know, support you emotionally. <clears throat> So as I close, let me again ask just a couple of questions. Are your friends helping you or are they hindering your spiritual growth? That's an answer that your kids need to hear. and They need to be able to answer that question as well. It doesn't matter how old they are. Um, and then 
for our teenagers, that person that you're dating, are they going to lead you to miss God's purpose for your life? What about the kids, the, the, the other friends that your kids hang with? Are they hanging with the wrong crowd? What's the influence that they're going to have over your children? These are days that those kind of questions become essential. Because we have entered into an era in, our, in the history of our nation where Christians are now the minority. Just this week, Gallup released a poll that said less than 50% of Americans identify as members of a church. You're part of a church family. You're now in the minority in America. It's going to be these kind of days that we're going to face in the future. Where to be a believer in Jesus Christ is going to be, you're going to be in a small minority. We need to make sure the people that we surround ourselves with push us up and not pull us down. Let me close with one last verse. <clears throat> John 15, 15. Jesus said this, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. Uh, one translation says, I have called you my friends. You see, the fact of the matter is that Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross to accept us, that we could have a friendship, a relationship with him. And, and so if you haven't said, Jesus, you're my friend, you're my savior, you're the one I'm depending upon, you could do that this morning. You could just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Make me a new person. I want a relationship with you where you call me friend. And I can call you my friend as well. <laughs> Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I, I pray that you would help us to, um, to be a church that not just known as a friendly church, but really a church that is full of friends. Uh, that we're, f we're friends to everyone, that we love everyone, but most specifically that we're close to people of like-minded faith. Those that will strive to make us grow, to help us to be spiritually all that we're called to be, to bring out the very best in us. <clears throat> I pray that we would be best friends by bringing out the best in each other. May we choose good friends who constantly draw us closer to Jesus Christ. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.